electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Thursday morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I am Sarah Eisen with Bob Pisani today live from post night of the New York Stock Exchange. Carl, Jim and David have the morning off. Take a look at futures right now. As we just continue this win streak... We're right in the middle of the Santa Claus rally. It looks like the Dow futures are pointing to a lower start. Everybody else is higher. NASDAQ futures up 45. S&P futures up a bit. We're, we're less than a 0.3% away from a record closing high. We'll see if we can get there today. Our roadmap begins with that record watch. S&P inching closer to all-time highs as the Santa Claus rally rolls on with the Dow and the NASDAQ 100 hitting their own records. Plus, Tesla shares at a three-month high and seeing the third best year on record. But will waning EV demand prove a headwind for growth in 2024? And why one analyst thinks AI will become Microsoft's iPhone moment in the next few years. We'll begin with the markets, though, including record highs for the Dow and the NASDAQ 100. It's been a powerful, somewhat surprising rally fueled by lower interest rates. We continue to see new cycle lows for the 10-year. We're now at levels we haven't seen since July. 4.8% right now, I believe, on the uh, on the on the 10-year. Uh, yep. Somewhere, uh, 3.8, excuse me, on the 10-year. The important thing here is 47.93. That would be the closing high of January 4th, 2022 for the S&P. We're very close to it, you know, within fractions of a percent. Uh, that's the remarkable move for the year that we've seen. I think this time last year, remember, we were preparing for a recession. Everyone was expecting it. Everybody. Everyone was expecting an earnings recession. There were people who had 200 on the S&P 500 for the earnings estimates. Uh, we're going to end the year close to 220. We have $245 on the S&P for 2024. So the consensus was completely wrong. And I think two things happened that were quite amazing. One was the Magnificent Seven stepped in. The AI became the predominant paradigm, the biggest paradigm since the Internet, essentially. And number two... The recession never came. The recession never came because the Federal Reserve essentially reduced inflation without dramatically slowing the economy. I think that is a remarkable story. It's extremely rare. You and I both know, Sarah, soft landings are very rare animals. And that is the main story of 2023, in my opinion, the fact that we did not have the recession. Now, who knows if we'll have one in 2024. But the point is, if you would have made a decision based on a lot of forecasts in 2023, uh, in December 2022, you would have been a mayor making a lot of big mistakes. Essentially, staying with the market was the smart thing to do. And I think in the last few weeks, as it relates to this latest rally, which just got supercharged by the AI rally of 2023 and the, the lack of recession, really, I think the surprise is how fast inflation has come down. The disinflation story that has allowed Fed Chair Powell to pivot and has allowed the 10-year yield to rally. I was just looking at the the low since July that we hit last night is 379, 379 on the 10-year. Yeah. And we're just above there right now. And we were five percent. Dollar's been weak. It's it's going to have a first down year since 2020 on the back of some of the weakness that we've really seen since December. All of these 
trades got supercharged. And the, and the question, I think, for 2024 is, will inflation come, still come down? Will this trend continue to be the friend of the Fed and of investors? And will the economy stay soft but not in recession? Yep. We got jobless claims today. You know, a little bit of a tick up, but nothing worrisome. They still remain historically low. It's a holiday season, so these these weekly claims, first-time claims, could be a little bit volatile. Continuing claims, a little bit elevated as well, but nothing speaks to stress or any kind of mass layoffs that companies are doing right now, which also, I think, Bob, speaks to the fact that there's demand. There is a lot of demand out there. So what, what, the question now is, what could go wrong in 2024? And the way I always look at this, you take the pain trade, the consensus views, and invert them, especially when they're all lopsided. In this case, we have a very bullish consensus by and large. The first thing is we're going to get a lot of rate cuts. And there's your first pain trade right there. Fewer rate cuts than expected happened in 24 that Mark disrupt the market. expecting like 160 basis points. Now. Yeah, I think 150. Six, yeah, six rate cuts starting in, in March. Uh, that's a lot. And if for whatever reason we get the economy unusually strong or inflation doesn't go down enough, the Fed doesn't cut, in the order and sequence expected, that's going to be a hiccup. The second is that we get a bigger slowdown than people anticipated. And by the way, that, both of these things could happen. You could have the Fed's keeping rates high if inflation's high. Economy still slows down, but the Fed doesn't go ahead and cut rates. That's a worst-case scenario, but that could happen. So there's your second uh, pain trade. Finally, the earnings slowdown. I am not particularly impressed with what I see early on with the early reporters for the fourth quarter. The revenues are generally below expectations. We've had a lot of disappointing revenue reports. We see a little bit of disinflation, a little demand reduction going on. And that could be revenues could be a story for 2024. If the economy softens significantly, we get disinflation. Companies can't raise prices the way they did in 2023 revenues could be a big issue. So there's your three trades that are pain trades. Fewer rate cuts than expected. The economy goes into some kind of even modest recession, and we have a bigger earnings slash revenue slowdown than anticipated. Well, I think also the MAG7, which you said has been a key theme of this year. I mean, these seven stocks, their surge accounted for two-thirds of the S&P 500's advance. So even though we've broadened out in recent weeks to places like the Russell 2000, to biotech, to everybody left behind, to the food stocks, to all the losers. It's really all about these stocks. And I think if we continue to have the soft landing mm -hmm. trade and the better economy and the Fed start cutting rates, do these stocks become as attractive? Because they're also safe havens. They've got good cash flows. They've got strong earnings power. Will they continue to power this market? Did you, did you uh, take a look? At, I thought it's amazing here, just a plug here for our Delivering Alpha survey. Yeah. We asked our investors here, what is the best way to invest in AI? 58% big cap tech companies. But uh, which sectors here might outperform? Big cap tech is down there, further down there than you might think. Only 15% say mega cap tech will be the top performer in 2024. That was shocking to me. 35% yeah. say bank stocks. They're sort of doing a, a, a reversion trade here. 23% say high dividend stocks. That's certainly not mega cap tech. 19% say healthcare. These are all stocks that generally underperform in 2023. So it's a good call. It's a mean reversion call. But you think a large percentage would say mega cap tech is going to repeat? No, only 15%. I think that's a very interesting call that you've had. Most people would be shocked. This time last year, nobody, and I mean nobody, thought NVIDIA was going to be up 220% in 2023. Nobody thought we would have a regional bank crisis either, where we had a few failures. That's right. Including SVV and managed to come out of it with financial stocks as the top pick for, for 2024. I mean, the regional banks did underperform this year, and I think a question mark for that group is, 
commercial real estate exposure. And if that starts to, because we still have higher rates than where a lot of these, where a lot of these buildings locked in their rates. And if they have to refinance, that could mean a wave of pain defaults. But isn't How that already, that we've been talking about this for months. It's sort of yeah, in the market to a certain extent. It would really have to, mm. there is a lot of defaults already built into commercial real estate yeah. for the regional banks. I think you'd have to have a much, much worse scenario for it to collapse further. Ed Yardeni has been, I mean, all the bulls are out oh, now, yeah. right? Because oh, yeah, the, the rally's broadening oh, yeah. out. He says, we conclude that the rolling recession for goods producers and distributors may be bottoming, but it has yet to turn into a rolling recovery. That could be a catalyst for the market, too, if we actually expect momentum to be picking up. And, that, you know, if you look at the Goldman Sachs economic forecast, they expect consumer spending to be better. They expect growth to come in better at 2%. That's not what people were expecting at this stage of a Fed tightening cycle. And, and yet, why, why can't we get consumer sentiment higher? The, 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 the market is telling us that the economy is still in good shape, and yet the, the investing public doesn't seem to be believing in it. It's remarkable to me there's a disconnect between the markets and what the general public seems to be believing. Right? Well, you know, they seem to think they inflation is still say. out of control and that the economy is slipping into a recession. And the, the market doesn't believe it. I, I don't think the economic evidence is there. The economic evidence is inflation is coming down and the economy is holding up pretty well. And yet vast numbers of the public don't believe this. I think it's going to be an issue for the election in 2024, no question about it. The idea is that While inflation is coming down, inflation rates are still higher than they were pre-pandemic. People still feel that acutely. All the excess savings that we got during the COVID run-up, those have come down. Student loan payments have resumed. SNAP payments, the extra food security benefits that came during Mm -hmm. COVID, they have expired. All of these things add up, and, and for a lot of the population, it still feels painful. That, that's the best explanation I think we have for it. that and the fact that, you know, shelter prices, which are a big component yeah. of what we spend on rent, um, on housing prices, still remain very elevated. And yeah. that's been a problem for the Fed. And it's been a problem for that. The stubbornness but we all know that's CPI. a big lagging indicator. We're all the other components that look at, at this uh, indicate that the shelter component costs are going to go down in the first half. I'm of not sure. What, what if mortgage rates are falling pretty fast here? What if it spurs some some activity? This is the Torsten Slock view. We had him on Money Movers yesterday from Apollo. He says financial conditions are loosening so much right now. Look at stocks. Look at yields. Mm-hmm. Look at the dollar weakening. And look at mortgage rates coming down. If that spurs some activity, then we'll get then we'll get some inflation flaring up in places like housing that the Fed may feel that they have to be higher for longer after all. That, that's a contrarian call yeah. for sure, but it's a risk as we continue to talk about the market going up and bonds going up every single day. Yeah, it's a great, it, it's, it, we should have these problems though. The S&P up 25% going into the close yeah. of the year. Not, Again, these are, these are problems that wealthy, that, that fortunate investors have. Oh my gosh, we're up 25%, what can and go Santa wrong? Claus rally, this time last year thing, we were down right? 20% and we were wondering, we were going into a recession. I'd rather sit here than sit in December this year this moment one year ago. Yeah, I mean, the biggest risk is consensus is wrong. Again, that, exactly what we happens. just did. Yeah. All right, when we return, Fidelity's Urian Timmer will join us with his market outlook, including what he believes will have to do the heavy lifting in 2024 and taking another look at futures here as we march to the final days of the year, the quarter, and the month. Dow futures down 36. NASDAQ futures remain positive, up 40. Futures were soft yesterday as well, and then they steadily increased throughout the day. We're on record close watch as well for the S&P 500, just about 20 points away. Stay with us on Squawk on the Street.
Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. We've got new results from our exclusive Delivering Alpha survey. When asked about the biggest risk to stocks in 2024, the top two answers from our respondents were stubborn inflation and problems with commercial real estate. Good things to be worried about. Joining us now to discuss the market outlook for 2024, Urian Timmer, Fidelity Investments Director of Global Macro. Urian, Happy New Year. Good to see you. You see our survey results here. Biggest worries, 23% say stubborn inflation. 20, uh, 21% say uh, uh, 23% stubborn inflation, 23% problems with commercial real estate, 21% slow economic growth. How about your list of worried items for 2024, Yuri? Well, you know, that, that, that survey describes perfectly um, <clears throat> kind of the roller coaster of tail risks that, that investors have to navigate, right? And we did this, of course, th- th- this year. If you think of the distribution of all outcomes. It's a bell curve, right? The middle is Goldilocks, where we seem to be right now. The left is a recession. The right is um, higher interest rates. And we started the year, uh, you know, fearing the left curve. Remember the inverted yield curve? And that was going to be the other shoe that was going to drop in 2023 after the rate hikes in 2022. And then by the middle of the year, we were worrying about, um, you know, not, not necessarily overheating, but higher rates, you know, the 10-year pushing 5%. And now we're back in the middle. And so your survey perfectly encapsulates how investors have to traverse um, around that bell curve from one extreme to the other. And, you know, we're in a good place right now, uh, but I wouldn't dismiss the possibility that in 2024, we're going to be kind of riding, riding that bell curve yet again. Yeah. Sarah and I were talking about another risk, which is fewer rate cuts than expected. The Fed's, you know, we're anticipating 150, 160 basis points in rate cuts in 2024. That's what, six rate cuts, essentially. Uh, If inflation is a little bit higher, the economy is too strong, uh, that may not materialize. To, To what extent is that priced into the market? And would that be a problem if it didn't happen in the sequence that the street seems to believe it's going to happen? Yeah, so I think it makes sense for the Fed to give back a few of its rate hikes in the same way that Alan Greenspan did in 1995. You remember those days, Bob, you know, uh, Greenspan uh, hiked rates 300 basis points in 94, gave back 75 in 95, and we had a soft landing, one of the one of the few in history. And the market, of course, rocketed off uh, 37% in 1995 uh, and went up for, I think, five years straight, I, I believe it was. Um, so maybe the market is, is hoping for a, a replay of that. Um, and I think a few rate cuts make sense because inflation has fallen. I think 
it's likely to be sticky at around 3%. And as you mentioned earlier, Supercore uh, is still around 4%. So I think those last 100 basis points are going to be um, hard, to, hard to get. But with inflation falling somewhat, um, uh, the Fed can give back some because it's spread over that inflation rate then starts to go up in terms of where the Fed is. But I think six or more rate cuts, I think, is quite unrealistic unless we get a recession and then we have other problems because then your earnings side is not going to hold up and then the market will have will, will have some issues. But I think a few a few givebacks um, make sense. But the market being the market, you know, the market is like a spoiled child. You know, it, it gets a few and it wants more. Uh, and that's a very typical situation that we're finding ourselves in right now. I'm, I'm looking at your forecast on bond yields, four to five percent. And you say the risk is to the upside around five percent if fiscal issues come to the fore, which, you know, it's an election year and we've already got a little bit of taste of that in 2023. So can the stock market rally with the bond with bond yields not moving south anymore? Um, I, I think so. I mean, <clears throat> the, the move in the 10 year below four, I don't know that that makes a lot of sense. So there may be some positioning, squaring, um, some window dressing going in, into the end of the year. And certainly there was a big short squeeze, right? If you look at the commitment of traders data for the two year, uh, that was at a record short going into kind of the peak Fed, if you will. So I think some of this is exaggerated, but below four to me doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I think, you know, five was very attractive. Um, four is probably more or less the, the, the yeah. floor. And so if we're between four and five, I think the stock market will be okay, but you know, as I said earlier, if if we're traversing that bell curve from left hill to right hill and back and back to the middle, um, at some point next year we may have a repeat of what we had this year, where rates go up and 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 yeah. you know the, the the analysts plugging earnings and rates into their discounted cash flow models start to come up with lower valuations, and and I do think you know I'm I'm bullish. Um, I think if um, the market is going to broaden out. Uh, potentially in a in a bullish way, and because typically when the market broadens, it also goes up. Um, but um, but there are a number of questions, and one of them I is that you know valuation-wise, a lot of this actually is already priced in. You know, the PE 14 months ago at the October 2022 low was 15.3. Today it's over 21. So a lot of this <clears throat> is priced in, and so in that sense. Uh, earnings will have to do the heavy lifting in, in 2024. But, you know, the, the, the open question, I think, is is one where um, if we see a rotation from the Magnificent Seven to everything that's been left behind, and I do think that that um, is very likely, um, what kind of, you know, absolute trend does that produce, right? When 30% of the market gets rotated into all the, the cats and dogs that are on the 70% side, how strong can the index actually be? And I think that's one of the open questions for next year. Yeah, biggest technical problem right now is the market is not terribly attractively priced. It's expensive, forward PE, earnings outlook up 11%. That's, that's a lot to ask for the markets here. Thanks very much, Urian. Good talking with you. Okay. Thank you. When we come back, it's a stock that's down 10% this year, but one analyst at B of A has made it his top pick for 2024. He'll tell us why. We'll reveal the name. Plus, taking another look at futures here. Remember, Dow and NASDAQ 100 closing at a record high yesterday. And it looks like we're pointing to a higher start now for the S&P and for the NASDAQ. Dow's lagging a bit. More Squawk on the Street when we return. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. 
Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Well, while stocks have been chasing history, different story for natural gas. Prices down more than 30% since the beginning of November. Pippa Stevens joins us with more. Pippa, what's the story here? Yeah, hey, Sarah, this is really a case of what a difference a year makes because last year energy prices were high and everyone was talking about a potential energy crisis in Europe. That didn't happen and prices have since tumbled, including here in the U.S., where nat gas is pacing for its worst year since 2006. Mild temperatures throughout the year cut fuel demand and output has stayed around record levels, meaning the market is now oversupplied with storage 8 percent above the five-year average. Production is so high in part because of associated gas. That's gas produced alongside oil. Crude prices are still above break-even levels, so that's stimulating associated gas production. In total, it's about 15 percent of domestic supply. But the surge in LNG exports does provide a floor of sorts for prices, even with lower domestic demand. During the first half of the year, the U.S. was the largest LNG exporter worldwide, with more than half heading to Europe. New export sites are being constructed in the U.S., which should keep demand high. Now, looking ahead, the EIA cut its forecast for Henry Hub prices, now predicting they'll average about $2.80 per MMBTU throughout the winter heating season, which ends in March. That's about 12 percent above where we are right now. But, Sarah, uh, pretty shocking here for the worst year since 2006. Absolutely. And, and a savior, I think. Another one for saving grace for Europe, that is. Pippa Stevens, thank you. The opening bell just a few minutes away. Squawk on the street. We'll be right back. Look at Microsoft shares rising pre-market, up more than 55 percent this year. Wedbush raises its price target on the stock to 450 from 425. Analyst Dan Ives citing what he calls incrementally bullish recent AI customer checks, adding, quote, we maintain our outperform rating and Microsoft is on our Wedbush best ideas list into 2024. We view this as Microsoft's iPhone moment with AI set to change the cloud growth trajectory in Redmond over the next few years. We estimate, he says, it could add another $25 billion to Redmond's top line by fiscal year 2025. You know, first off, a shout out to Anna, Dan Ives. He was much ridiculed this year for, number one, his endlessly bullish commentary, which True. was correct, it turns out. Also for his amazing sartorial outfits <laughs> that he has, those lime green psychedelic blazers. Which we like. He was, he was ridiculed for that, and we love him for that, too. But he was right, so kudos to him. The amazing thing to me is people will lament that this is an overplayed story. And yet when you look at the earnings expectations for a company like Microsoft, they're not overvalued. In fact, none of the Magnificent Seven are ridiculous. Tesla is in the 60s on its forward, but that's been there for many, many years. That's an exception. You look at Microsoft, uh, 2024 
2024 earnings estimates, 28 times uh, 2024 numbers, a multiple. It's traditionally right in the 25, 26, 27 forward earnings. So nothing is stupidly overvalued where you can say, oh, everything's kind of gotten out of control here. And by the way, the same with Apple, the same situation. Mm. Also uh, sitting around in the mid-20s, Meta, same situation. None of these companies, the, the amazing thing is even with up 55% right. on the year, as you said, the earnings expectations have risen to meet that. So the multiple is not dramatically expanding. And that's a testimony to how much confidence the street has in the transformative ability for AI and the earnings power of these companies. I find it interesting that Apple and Microsoft, the two you just mentioned, are the worst performing of the top Magnificent Seven. NVIDIA's right there at the top. 220%. More than 200%. Meta is number two. for women. Over at the NASDAQ, buildgirl.org, empowering young women to pursue careers in architecture, construction, and engineering. Good pair of nonprofits there ringing the opening bells. As we open, Bob, just looking at see whether the Santa Claus rally can continue. It has a pretty good track record, right? And we're right, right in the middle of it. Yeah, Last five trading days. We closed Thursday night, Friday. It started Friday. I believe we closed 47.46 on the S&P, 47.89 right now. So we're heading towards almost up 1% for since the start of that. Again, the uh, the Santa Claus rally, last five days of the old year, first two yes. of the new year, average gain is 1.3%. We are almost exactly on target. We're close to 1% since the close on Thursday on the S&P. And I want to note here, Sarah, 47.89 right now. Remember the old closing high uh, right around 47.93. That was what January 4th of 2022. About two years so we're, we are knocking on the door. We may end the year at an historic high. Wouldn't that be something to, to, to close it out? We were talking. Uh, about the Magnificent Seven uh, in 2023, um, NVIDIA 236, Meta 196%, Tesla 112%. there are a lot of complaints about this, and I wrote about it in my trader talk today about how overwhelming this has been. I find most of these arguments not convincing. First off, a lot of companies have benefited from the AI story. Remember, folks, that's what's moving these stocks here. But if you look at companies like uh, any of the uh, semiconductor names, AMD, for example, uh, up 123%, huge moves. Uh, any of the uh, cloud names, cloud storage names, other ones besides uh, uh, Amazon or Meta, uh, Arista Networks, for example, up 96 Six percent, Arista, Cloudflare, another one uh, in the in the cloud space, uh, up almost ninety percent. So, cloud names, Cadence semiconductor design. names, they make semiconductor designs. Nvidia is a big client. I mean, yeah. there are. You're right. There are a lot right. of names we don't that and, don't get a lot of love and mention, but. They're huge winners this year. Cadence Design's up 71%. So what you're going to anticipate here, this happened with the Internet. Once you had the big names, Netscape went public in August 95. I remember that very well because that was the start of the Internet boom. I was here for that. Don't laugh, please. And it created that move. And within a few years, knock-on effects, huge numbers of 
other internet companies came online. This is going to happen next year. The, the AI story is going to broaden out to other smaller companies. Watch Dan Ives. He'll have his eye on all of those companies that are out there that you don't know much about right now that are micro cap or small cap or are going to go public uh, in the next year around the AI story. A huge part of the IPO story next year yep. is going to be AI related stories going public. I do uh, wonder if it extends to other sectors, places like financials, for instance, that are going to benefit from using generative AI to improve productivity and boost margins. I Just wonder when back that story office, how much it's going to improve. Look, look what software as a service did, the back office functions, how it made them much more uh, efficient. AI is going to do that again on steroids. Another objection, the valuations are crazy. I showed you that's not true. The major big tech companies are not having stupid valuations right now. Um, the other thing I want to point out, you mentioned this, Sarah, yeah. the influence of the Magnific Magnificent Seven has declined. Uh, since the interest rates started dropping in late October, early November, the big story is: look at small cap. Russell. Small cap values have been rallying. That's the leader. Small cap values up 25% uh, since the beginning of November. Uh, the Russell 2000 up 24%. Big moves up here overall <coughs> in the markets. These are quite remarkable. And you also look at the equal weight, also up about 16, 17%. All of this is happening uh, because of the decline in interest rates and the ability of the market to broad now. The, the equal weight S&P 500 went from a 52-week low to a 52-week high in just a few weeks. I mean, I've been doing this 26 years. I've almost never seen that. You don't see a major index just completely go round. Here's some of the numbers here. There, this is the market leadership right now. Small cap value. Who on earth, by the way, historically, we know over time, small cap tends to outperform big cap. Value tends to outperform growth over long periods. But when, is it, when this has actually happened recently, well, maybe a little bit in 2020, but not recently. There's your lead. Leadership. That's the soft, that's the soft. That is exactly the soft landing. And look, the NASDAQ 100, which by the way is at an historic high, is underperforming here, although underperforming is a relative term here. You see it's doing great, actually. And there's the S&P. So here's this, this endless whining that the Magnificent Seven has taken over the stock market is not true. What we needed was for interest rates to come down to make the market a little more attractive for broader groups of people and be convinced that the soft landing is real. The question is, does the broadening out continue? Because there are plenty of left-behind sectors and stocks, even with this V-shaped recovery that you're talking about in places like small caps. I was looking at some of the healthcare stocks. So healthcare is an underperforming index right. so far this year. If you look at the group, it's, it's basically flat on the year. Um, and that's just thanks to a little bit of a rally. If you were not Novo Nordisk or Eli Lilly, it was a tough year. Biotech also Any had, pharma. A, tough, yeah, had pharma. a tough year. Although there are signs that things are looking up. For instance, there's been a bunch of M&A lately, so that could help biotech valuations in the new year. Interest rates are falling. That's always an interest rate sensitive sector when it comes to raising capital. Um, no question about it. So that, th those are some potential tailwinds. Yep. Um, if you look at some of the biggest losers in, in the healthcare space, Pfizer and Moderna. Yes. Big COVID winners. Oh, oh, yeah, and Bristol-Myers, tough year. Pharma's had a tough year overall. Uh, and if, if you look at the laggards, it is very rational here. I just want to point out our people of our survey here, give, give another shout out to the Delivering Alpha <laughs> survey here. The top performing areas in the U.S. in 2024, 35% say financial stocks, which are underperformers. 23% say high dividend stocks, another underperformer uh, relatively. 19% say healthcare, you just mentioned. Only 15% say mega cap tech. I find that to be remarkable because what, what, these, the, what these people who are surveyed are saying essentially is there's going to be mean reversion. Underperforming stocks 
will tend to outperform. That's a tough call. I mean, well, it's, it's a logical call. But it's hard to get call. excited about a stock that's up, I don't know, 200% if you look at Meta, for well, instance, this year. So look at the sector laggards this year. Energy's down 3%. Consumer staples down 3%. Utilities down 11%. It would be logical to think you'll get some modest... Uh, mean reversion going on in the month of January. But it's tough to get excited about energy. I mean, look what's happened this year, the geopolitical events, and yet oil never appreciated because the supply is so heavy. Consumer staples have some demand issues out there. Yep. Uh, we are seeing reductions in, in inflation around the commodities associated with consumer staples, but there's demand issues. Uh, I think there'll be difficulties raising prices in 2024. Uh, and utilities still have, even with the 10-year yield at 3.8%, utilities are still... Uh, um, you know, the, the treasuries are still serious competition for utilities. So if you want to say I would pick at these three sectors as mean reversion trades for January, it would make some sense. But on a fundamental basis, it's, it's hard to argue for some massive turnaround. Here. Within the consumer staples, let's just focus on one particularly hard hit area, which is the food stocks, which yeah. I follow carefully. The, the JM Smucker, Campbell Soup, General Mills, these stocks are down between 20, 30 percent so far this year. It's been a triple whammy for these food stocks. So not as attractive dividend plays uh, on the back of what we saw, higher yields. No question about it. The GLP-1, I mean, do you remember that sell-off toward the back end of the summer? It hit the food stocks. It hit the alcohol stocks. It hit the medical device makers. It's going to change the world. I think there are some serious questions about what so demand is going to look like. So you think that's still an overhang in them, despite the fact be. that the It could be. They've come back the a little bit. They've, they've come back a little bit, but it's no question an overhang when we don't know. I mean, Look, are 100 million people in America that are obese going to be on these GLP ones? Probably not. That would bankrupt Medicare. But you know, as the, as coverage expands and we continue to see these game-changing health results of these drugs, I think there are questions about package sizes. There are questions about volume sales and what we're going to see. A lot of the food companies sort of said it's too early to tell. We're looking at it. What can they say at this point? But there are other headwinds here with this group in particular, which is they've benefited from higher pricing, double-digit pricing on inflation. As we see disinflation in food, they don't have that pricing power and they've lost the volumes because there's a certain point where consumers just aren't going to pay for these higher priced food items. So that's that's hit the food space in 2023. Could, could revert if we continue to see falling interest rates. They become more attractive, just like utilities and staples. But that, that's an area that was painful. On the other hand, we, we should, wouldn't it be wonderful if the country had a massive decrease in heart, heart disease? disease? Yes. Wouldn't that well, be something? The, Would you be willing story. to pay less for food stocks um, with that kind of return? I'm very excited about about all these weight loss drugs. Yeah, and we're, we're going to I think the healthcare implications are, are just tremendous. Amazing. And Lilly is one of the, Eli Lilly has to be one of the stocks uh, charts of the year. Um, and now, you know, there's a new catalyst. We're going to see how this, the rollout of ZepBound goes, of course. This is the obesity right. answer to their Manjaro drug. It's been an incredible climb year to date, up 60%. Question is, What's already in the valuation? I think another question for healthcare in 2024, it's always shaky when there's an election year in, 2020, in, in healthcare because you get promises of crackdowns on drug pricing Medicare. or insurance. Yeah. The only thing I'll say that's positive is that is that if we do see a Trump-Biden election, both of these, pre- they've both been presidents before, and we've seen what Trump didn't do anything on health care, and Biden did the crackdown on Medicare pricing that we already got from the Inflation Reduction Act, so maybe not as much of a of a headline headwind there. It's going to be a very interesting year to see. If that's what happens. A a lot of crosswinds, including political crosswinds. Want to hit Tesla? Um, Excuse me. The red-hot run. Shares are rallying toward a three-month high, surging more than 110 percent 
year to date. It's on track for its third best year on record since the EV maker went public in 2010. Bob, people are optimistic about delivery numbers that are going to come out next week. Will they hit the 2 million target that that Tesla originally wanted? Not necessarily, but there are signs. I think Dan Ives wrote yesterday of Wedbush that demand in China has been stronger, but there's competition in China too. BYD set to become the world's largest EV seller. Xiaomi just today. Xiaomi also announcing a new Just today. They're coming in very big. Mm -hmm. Well, look, uh, here's a company that's very hard to figure out in a certain way because so much depends on one person. So you can talk about things like forward earnings multiples, but so much really just depends on what Mr. Musk's focus is. So we, we're up, what, 112% this year? Um, it's the seventh biggest stock that's out there, $830 billion market cap. Uh, the multiple, 67, 68, uh, that sounds crazy when you consider the typical multiple for the S&P right now is 19 or 20, but that's where it's always been. It's always been in, uh, in the 60s. Uh, the average has been about 72 times forward earnings for Tesla in the last five or six years. So there's, believe it or not, with Tesla up 112%, you think the market multiple has gone through the roof on it. Actually, it hasn't because the earnings estimates have, again, just like Microsoft, gone up uh, in relation to that. So there's nothing particularly out of whack with the historical movement in Tesla. It's just that so much depends on Mr. Musk's where his focus is actually going to be. Um, uh, the historic high, I would note, though, we're well off, was 407. I looked at this morning. We're, I don't know what we opened at, 261 was where Tesla was earlier. So there's, the, there's a long way off. So th- there's a, a, a lot of, I, I think, a good part of the investing public has become concerned about his distractions. I think people like me and other people would like to see him settle on the stuff that really changed the world, getting to Mars, uh, changing the EV industry and not worrying so much about Twitter and what's going on. But then again, Mr. Musk doesn't listen to those kinds of things. No, and I think he he thinks that that changes the world, too, having the sort of free speech forum. Mm. By the way, just on news today, the stock is up, but but two senators from Connecticut and Massachusetts have written to Elon Musk, to Tesla, calling on him to swiftly recall steering and suspension parts after an alarming report, they say, by Reuters. This is the the Reuters investigation a few weeks ago that reported that the the company allegedly blamed drivers for abuse for some of the failures of the components, despite knowing in advance that certain parts were flawed. So this is Blumenthal and Markey, and they are expressing extreme concern regarding the safety flaws and concealment, they say, of Tesla vehicles. We'll see whether those sorts of, I mean, Tesla's brushed off those sorts of headlines before. It's still, it's very difficult to tell what the real safety record (laughs) of these cars are, because there's still not a lot of them that are out there. Well, they get great ratings, great safety ratings. They get great safety ratings. (laughs) Their satisfaction ratings have not been as high. Remember when it first came out, the original Tesla came out years ago, Consumer Reports gave it a tremendous rating, and the the numbers, the ratings numbers have come down um, since then. But... Look, the important thing is the the retort about electric vehicles is people say they don't want to sit in a car that's that's self-driving. And yet, if you get it right, there is no doubt that self-driving cars are far safer than humans driving. I always say, is there anything worse than a human driving? It's certainly true that we've got a lot of problems with (laughs) self-driving vehicles, and we need to work that out. They're not ready for prime time yet, but humans are not ready for prime time 
either. And the, the death rate, the accident rate, 42,000 people killed on the roads last year, shockingly high, shockingly high. What about robots? And we robots? need to find a way to bring that, that down, and that's why I'm for electric vehicles, I've even with the imperfect technology. We need to keep working on it. Agree. As someone who's a terrible driver, what about the robots? Did you see? So Musk is, not, is responding to these media reports about the robot. So this is the, out of the information, a Tesla engineer was allegedly attacked by a robot at a factory near Austin, but it points to a 2021 injury report left a trail of blood, according to witnesses who spoke with the information. Daily Mail picked it up too. Elon Musk tweets out, you know, sort of pouring cold water on it, saying it's a few years old. Well, again, I'd like a little more information. First, it was two years old, yeah. right? Was this a routine robotic accident? No idea. I mean, people get hurt in, in robots on assembly lines. You know, that is not that uncommon. I'd like to know a little bit more about this. Um, I mean, there are tendencies to think somehow we've got robots kind of gone amok here. But let's find out a little bit more about what actually happened. If it's two years ago and it was a... a, a whatever, a software glitch or something happened, it may not be a major issue. But again, I'd like to know more about exactly yeah, what happened. Yeah, I mean, more than just the dancing robots. Yeah. Time now for a look at some of the, the travel stocks, which have also seen a pretty nice rally. Dom Chu has been tracking that sector. Dom. A rally, a great rally for certain parts of that travel and leisure market, but not all of them. An interesting divergence happened in 2023. So, Sarah, Bob, to that point, if you look at some of the best-performing stocks, within the S&P 500 over the course of this year, 2023. It was all about the locations that you would go to for a vacation and booking yourself a stay at those locations. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the cruise line operators, Royal Caribbean up 163%, Carnival Cruise Line 131%, and Norwegian up about 68%, these stocks were some of the best performers out there in terms of getting that travel and leisure trade intact here. That's big because we're still nowhere near where we were pre-pandemic, but it's a big run in 2023. Now, the other part of that story is getting the reservations for going to a hotel stay or booking yourself a flight or a cruise or anything else. Booking holdings up 76%, Expedia up 75%, and Airbnb up 60%. Those booking platforms had a banner year in 2023. Some of them at or near record highs. Others have a little bit more to go. But one place that hasn't seen the kind of participation that we have for some of these other names has been getting to those locations. Airline stocks have not done very well at all on a relative basis. You take a look at Southwest Airlines actually down for the year. American Airlines up 10 percent, still underperforming the broader market. And United Airlines up about 11 percent as well. So it's been an interesting divergence, Sarah, when it comes to consumer spending. Investors have favored those destinations and the ways that you get there, but not the travel itself to get to some of those spots. We'll see if that trend continues for consumer spending in 2024, Sarah. Unless you're taking a cruise, which Unless is you're taking a cruise, amazing. yes, exactly. Yeah, Dom too, Dom, thank you. As we head to break, let's hit the bond report now and take another look at how treasuries are faring this morning. A little bit of a reversal of the trend, which has been buying bonds. We've seen it over the last few weeks. It's been a powerful rally that have pushed the yields all the way down to levels we haven't seen in months. A little bit of reversal. Ten-year yield firmer at 3.831%. Last night got down to 3.79%. It's been global, too. We should note that German Bund yields are at the lows of the year. We'll be right back here on Squawk on the Street. Our Delivering Alpha survey asked investors where they expect to see the best returns in 2024. 28% of respondents picked the S&P 500. 16% say the Nasdaq 100, which is at a record. 
12% selected Chinese stocks, that's a contrarian view we'll talk about, and ETFs, followed by Japanese stocks and ETFs as well. Speaking of 2024, we're going to look at a top pick for you. It's one that's been a laggard after the break. We are watching shares of wireless carriers for the year. AT&T trailing its competitors down 10%, but our next guest sees a turnaround for shares in 2024. B of A's David Barden named AT&T his top large-cap telecom pick for next year, and he joins us now. Whole sector hasn't really been in demand this year, especially AT&T. David, what do you think changes next year? Well, thanks, Sarah. First, it's great to be here. Thanks for having you me too. back. Look, the wireless industry had three big challenges in 2023. Number one was that the market was worried about what the post-pandemic competitive climate would look like. I think number two was that there were rumors that Amazon might be jumping into the industry, which turned out not to be true. And I think number three was that the Wall Street Journal article that came out around mid-year um, talked about some risks that could exist around lead sheet cables, which so ultimately the Environmental Protection Agency seems to have kind of dismissed. So we think we're really better set up into 2024. Uh, David, Bob Pisani here. Uh, one of the things, uh, AT&T, a widow and orphan stock, as it used to be called 30 years ago, uh, for that dividend, still there, 6.7%. Um, that is in the top 20 for the S&P 500 in terms of the highest dividend levels. Uh, there are people who still own it, and I know it's, a, it's generally a, you know lowest level since 1993, and it's down 10% this year, but when you got an almost 7% dividend yield, that tends to mitigate some of that downside on the price. Uh, how safe is that dividend? Uh, do you think any changes will come in, in 2024? Thanks, Bob. Look, the dividend is safe. Um, ATT is our top pick for really three big reasons. Number one, it's been a great fundamental performer for the last two years. They've met or beaten all the fundamental expectations in the wireless industry, in the consumer fiber industry, and we think that's going to continue in 2024. The second big reason is valuation. AT&T is trading a multiple point or two multiple points below all their telecom peers. And the third is positioning, and this is super interesting. Of the 90 stocks in the S&P 500 that are over $100 billion in market cap, AT&T is number 90 in terms of ownership. It's the least owned mega cap stock in the market. Yeah, 6.8 PE. I mean, people don't realize how low these PE ratios have gotten on these uh, telecom stocks. J just on the lead cable story, do you have anything you can add to that? It seems to have sort of gone away at this point. Is this not an issue that investors need to worry about? I mean, we think it's kind of a non-issue. We've looked at the history. There's not a lot of um, precedent for there to be a lot of liability here. The industry is still working on things like um, lead water pipes. And so the EPA has come out and really kind of validated the company positions, but there's not a lot of public safety risk. All right, David, thank you. David Barden. Thank you so much. On AT&T. Coming up, more top picks for 2024 on tap for you. Another hour of Squawk on the Street straight ahead. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer.
From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 